in terms of in terms of the storm that is coming to the real estate market here, what what category number would you give it? Are you expecting a cat one, a cat five? Well, I'm going to be called a doomer, uh, but you know, I'll go there. I'm I'm expecting a cat five. A and, cat five, okay. Wow. This is worse, in my opinion, than the GFC. I and I and actually, I kind of feel like we're just going to play that out. And the reason we got out last time is because the institutionals came in and bought up a lot of these homes. So and then rented them out to people, you know. <laughs> so I do think it's probably going to be a cab five. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Last week, Danielle DiMartino Booth was on this program and gave a special shout out to the excellent work analyst Melody Wright is doing to reveal the true state of the U.S. real estate market. So I'm thrilled we have the good fortune to sit down with Melody herself today to hear her latest assessment straight from the horse's mouth. Melody, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Adam. I'm very happy to be here and thank you for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I've been following you on Twitter for a good while now. Um, and uh, the moment that Danielle, you know, basically called attention to, you know, some of your latest work, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, I, I, how could I not uh, reach out to you to invite you on? <laughs> Thank you for coming on on short notice. Absolutely. Um, got a lot of questions here for you, but if we can, let's just start with a very general one. Feel free to answer it any way you like. What's your current assessment of the U.S. real estate market? Yeah, so it's a complicated answer, right? And I think that um, my last Substack post was called the messy, muddy middle. Um, and so to answer that, uh, you know, I've been I've been here before. Uh, I started a mortgage in 2006, and so I I kind of wrote out 2007, 2008, and it and it feels very uh, familiar in terms of we absolutely thought that the housing market was going to be turning around based on all the data that we were looking at at the time. And we had a lot of hope up until probably late 2009 and 2010. Um, and even in 2010, when there was a refi boom. But right now what's happening is we're in the middle. And, and I refer to this often as in the soup, meaning that there's different metrics that are gonna make things look rosier than they are. You know, For instance, home prices are gonna look higher when the only people that are able to transact are the ones that can actually buy those higher, you know, priced homes. And so we're getting, you know, one day we get a, a survey that says builder confidence is down. The next day we get a report that says, um, you know, new home sales is up. You know, we get a report that says pending sales is up and then we get existing sales are down. And so we're kind of in this in-between space where uh, pretty much anybody can jump onto something and, and say, you know, things are going well or things are not going so well. We kind of have both stories. But to me, you know, I'm not really um, interested in predictions. Uh, I'm interested in the path. And what I can say to you is that um, the path that we're on is not good. And the, and the, and the reason I can say that is not only due to all the research that I've done, not only due to kind of my experience in mortgage finance and housing, um, but because I went out on the road in February, I kind of woke up one day, Joe from Bloomberg was like, the housing market's turning around. And I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, <laughs> there's no way we've just, we've built so much inventory, you know, on the multifamily with the built to rent, with the short-term rental, but nobody was really looking at that whole picture. I mean, you know, Nick Gurley was looking at the demographics and some of that picture, but it just felt like there was just pieces missing. And my understanding of mortgage kind of helped me really understand how this machine works. And so I got up and I, I really, within about two days, made the decision to get in my car <laughs> and drive to Austin and Nashville and Charlotte and Orlando and other cities and just tour these new build sites because I just, I couldn't understand it. I was looking at the permits, but I was also, you know, reading Ivy Zellman's uh, surveys. I mean, I am a huge fan of hers. Um, and I was just like, something's not, you know, adding up here. And so when I got to Nashville, when I got to Austin, I was like, oh my goodness, like how can there be this many new build sites, this many subdivisions and our permit data doesn't really tell that story. You know, Ivy's not seeing all of that. She was seeing a lot of it at the time. 
Um, and, and I just went out and had to see for myself. And so I can tell you absolutely <laughs> that based on what I've seen on the road from these new build sites, that the path is not good. And most of these are are priced in a way that your ordinary American cannot afford it. So it's as if everyone in these cities in Charlotte, Austin, Nashville, built for the super rich, built for the luxury. And the same was in the multifamily that you would see, you know, huge multifamily complexes, empty, uh, but luxury. And so, you know, when I came back, I'm like, we've got inventory. We don't have affordable inventory. And then, you know, that was kind of in February and I took a little break and started watching the news again. And then you kind of had the builders start to get some momentum with these new home, new homes. And I had kind of already said that myself, we had pinup demand, you could see it, um, but everybody was surprised for some reason. And then I went back um, out on the road to Phoenix and Las Vegas, which was just very shocking. Um, I, I call it an inf infestation, a swarm of these spec homes. They're just everywhere. And, and one of the reasons why some of the other analysts don't know this is because you had private builders, the people that don't respond to Ivy survey <laughs> and kind of like glob on to the big multi, the, the national builders, you would go onto these things called mega sites, Adam, where they would have, you know, Lennar, Toll, and then your smaller builders all in one site. It was just, it was one of the most overwhelming um, experiences to come back and just no one else sees this, hardly anyone else. And so I can say that the housing market, despite what all of our data is saying, and I can give a lot of reasons for that, you know, we've seen that um, responses to surveys are way down, you know, that's, and a lot of these, the survey of construction is a survey. And um, that's how, and, and then you have your permit offices that during COVID, we're very delayed in recording. Uh, even before COVID, like in Los Angeles, it could take you a year to record any document. You layer on COVID, it took a lot longer. And then uh, I recently learned that a lot of the builders don't consider it complete until they record that certificate of occupancy, which is after they've sold it. And so if it's a spec home, that's not going to happen <laughs> until someone actually buys it. And so, you know, this is why I think we 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 have this really disconnected view of what's actually happening out there. So I know that was a long answer, but um, it's not good. There There is too much uh, inventory, but it's not, it, we have structural issues because everything that's being built is for people that don't exist, meaning we don't have enough Americans to afford what's out there on the road what I, and what I've seen. So. All right. Great, great answer. You give me a lot of things to dig into. Sorry. There. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so first, I just want to reiterate your point about kind of being in the soup where it sounds like, you know, there's almost a survey out there for anybody that wants to make any kind of narrative about what's going on in the housing market right now, yeah. right? Some things you can tout as, oh, the market's recovering. Some things you can tout as, oh my gosh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Um, <laughs> so you're just saying it's a confusing time, which is why boots on the ground intelligence, like what you're providing, in my opinion, is so valuable because it's yes. not about someone's survey or you know right. a headline. You're actually going out there and you're just looking at units and right. saying, are they occupied or not? And right. I will say um, I've, I've had discussions around what is what 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 could happen with inventory with a mm -hmm. number of folks on this channel. Um, I haven't heard somebody say declaratively like you have. We have too much inventory right now. Of course, yeah. the narrative for so long has been we have way too little inventory. Yes. And, and Nick Jurley, yeah. as you mentioned, you know he has been putting up charts that show that we have, I think, more units under construction per capita. Yes than I think we've had in Since decades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yep. So that that's sort of speaking to perhaps a coming easing of this quote unquote inventory problem. Right. But what I hear you saying is, is, okay, we don't have an inventory problem in terms of at least number of units that are out there currently. And then you and I can right. talk about the potential of additional units to come onto the market through right. things yeah. like a short-term rental market and stuff yes. like that. Yeah. Um, but you're saying, no, we, we actually have plenty of units right now. The problem is, is they're not affordable to enough people. And right. there's a stat that I pulled off of your Twitter feed earlier today. Um, it said uh, only 23% of homes in the U.S. are affordable to middle income buyers. And that's coming from the 
the NAR, the National Association of Realtors. I, I was really right. shocked that they'd be willing to share a stat like that. <laughs> and apparently right. that that 23%, which is a very low number, that number was 50% just last year. That's right. So we're having a real plummeting in, in, in affordability. So I guess my question for you is twofold. Um, if you can just dig a little bit more into clarifying your assessment of inventory right now to address the people who say, wait a second, Melody, we've been hearing for years, we have too little, you're saying we have too much. Uh, and then secondly, um, I mean, shouldn't the laws of supply and demand come in place here where you okay, you got a lot of units apparently that have been built, but are sitting empty and aren't selling. You have a lot of people who want to buy, but can't afford. Sounds like price adjustment should, should be what solves that problem. Absolutely. But everybody's in the extend and pretend, you know, I think that, so what I feel like we're writing on right now is a wave of narrative and, and what's happening. And, you know, I don't want to come out and say people are, are doing wrong things, but I will say that there's vested interest out there. Right. And so having a spec community and not filing the certificate of occupancy or not listing it for sale you know, then it doesn't really exist, right? And and that's what I'm starting to see on the road. Meaning, um, if a, if a home sells for a lower price, but they never submit the certificate of occupancy, nobody really knows. Or if they just hold it off the market completely, and they okay. don't because and so there's and I think one of the hardest things about all of this is there's not one scenario. You know, a lot of people look back and say subprime caused the last crisis. That's that's not accurate. It was you know it was the kindling that started the fire, but the real foreclosure crisis came to your prime borrowers after you know uh, credit quality degraded due to affordability issues and the fed's written a ton of papers on this you know that i won't make that we won't go there right now but but honestly these spec homes i i've i've started to realize this is so typically what you do is you build custom like someone comes and says hey i want to build a house and maybe you choose a model and then you write a contract and you build it but these spec homes that were being built for built to rent and um, and for short-term rental, there weren't contracts. And so these builders don't like, if they never file that certificate of occupancy, it's almost like they don't exist or they exist. If you've seen that permit data where it shows kind of starts and completions and then the pig and the snake, which mm -hmm. is the all in progress. <laughs> well, I think it's that's where they all are, except I actually believe that probably some of those permits weren't even filed. There's some lawsuits out there right now uh, about that. Um, but I, I think they exist, Adam, but we don't know about it. Like when I was in Round Rock, Texas, for instance, th that's a suburb of Austin and, and got a lot of interest because Amazon was going to build a warehouse there. They canceled those plans. But I would I would drive a mile down the road and there would be a new build site, a new build site, a new build site, you take a right, another one and another one. And then I would sit down with people while in Austin, you know, people that work in the hotel, wherever, and I talk to them and, and they say, no, those are all sold. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> you know, you go to the website, they're not all sold. We heard back in the, um, back earlier in the year, it was a Twitter user named Raleigh Fams. And he said kind of what was happening is they, as he worked as uh, in new, in, in new home sales is that they would just find whoever they could write a contract because that's all that you have to do. And, and those contracts mean nothing. That's not underwriting. That's just write a contract, write a contract, make it look like you sold it. It goes on as sold on the lot. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't matter if they can qualify because we just have to make our numbers each month. And that's kind of, and again, this was an anonymous account. I'm still in touch with him. He's at a major national home builder right now. Um, and the other thing that he told me that they do, and I've also had this confirmed with other realtors and things like that, is they'll put different color stickers on the home saying sold, but in reality, they know green means sold and red means that it's not really sold. And, and they'll do things what's called salting the lots. They'll make it look like People are actually, those homes have sold. One thing I saw in Austin that they did. So firstly, you always have the construction people and the people working in the office will kind of drive in and they'll park in the house, like at each of the houses to make like, and they'll pull the garbage cans down 
like the, the recycling can and the garbage can to make it look like someone lives there. But you typically could tell because there'd be a light on. And this was another thing that people told me is like, the, there's always some way to distinguish which ones are sold and which ones aren't. Now, again, who's at fault here? I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, this some people would just say this is it's just a marketing gimmick, right? Um, it, but it, it all adds up. And then I kind of go back to technology systems. So technology and mortgage and, and at these builder sites is abysmal. Like it is, it's terrible. Um, it's maybe Excel spreadsheets where people type things in. And so half the time you, you don't know what's actually going up to corporate, right? Like, and, and on, so I think that there's a combination of people that have no idea what they're doing, filling out these sheets. And then there's people that probably know what they're doing. That's filled, because, you know, it's when your paycheck depends on it, it's important to take, you know, the rosiest view of everything. Right. And so I'm, I'm not saying people are doing thing, anything wrong, but when I, I'll tell you that I came back completely mystified how anyone could say that there was an inventory shortage. And a reporter from a very large publication called me and said, we're going to do this story. And we were working on it. And we were talking to the builders. We were talking to a technology platform out there that said they had every new build on their platform. But I called them from Austin and I said, wait a minute. All right, let's talk about Sweetwater. What about that? Oh, yeah, well, okay. What about out in Maynard? Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, they they started the conversation saying every single one of those homes are going to be occupied. But every time I brought up one of these subdivisions that I had seen that, by the way, Sweetwater out in Austin, Texas, I mean, these aren't 400,000. These are over 600 to a million and more. And they just kept building them up in the hills. Um, they, they would admit that was an issue. And so it's like almost... It, it, I think that when we look at things in aggregate, it's very difficult um, to really see what's happening below. And and I pressed them specifically about local private builders, and I got no answer. So I did a lot of, as I was out there trying to call people in my industry, trying to understand what was I missing, you know? And, and honestly, what I came or what I concluded was I'm not missing anything. <laughs> we are missing a ton just by things like poor technology, delays due to labor shortages and things like that. And I think we're all going to be hit like a Mack truck when this stuff does start making its way uh, to, to the listing sites because of the credit crunch, liquidity shortages, et cetera. Um, and, and I think we're already starting to see that. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we've got, um, I'm going to say this politely, right? we've got a ton of dust in the air that's making it really hard to assess the true nature of what's going on in the housing market. Right. Um, you know, there may be some fraud hidden in that dust. I know that you're not right. necessarily going there yet, but I have the sense reading from what you're saying wouldn't entirely shock you, right? right. Um, okay, and I think that that's going to be a big theme of this discussion here is um, there's a lot of data we can't trust. So, you know, for those like you that are really digging beneath the surface, you know, what are you finding as you dig? Um, real quickly, though, because I just got to get my brain to understand this. So in, in the cases in Austin that you talked about, where they're building these spec homes, and again, just to remind folks what a spec home is, you said, usually consumer comes to a builder, says, I want to buy a home. You right. pick it off some sort of, you know, sheet or whatever. The builder says, great, I'll build that home for yeah. you. He builds it, you buy it, right? That's what the contract's right. for. A spec home is where the builder doesn't have a buyer yet. He builds right. the home, making right. the bet that he'll then right. find a buyer once the home is right. built, right? So you're right. saying there are a lot of these spec homes generally ten tended to be built on the higher end of the spectrum from an affordability stand or a pricing standpoint. Affordability, yeah, pricing. Yep. Um, <laughs> and you're saying that uh, the, the companies that are building them, for one reason or another, are kind of 
telling it up the chain inside the company, oh, these homes are sold when they don't really have a real buyer for them. And there's there's some, you know, let's try to fool the person driving down the street by parking a car there, pulling out the, the garbage cans, et cetera. I, I guess I can see how that could work where, you know, for a little while, right, where you're making your bosses look like you're hitting your numbers and they're able to yeah. tell on their next earnings call, oh, yeah. we've got a sell-through rate of whatever. But at some point, the money doesn't come through. That's right. <laughs> like when, when when does the jig up? Like when when, right. when does this fall apart because the, the the financials aren't matching what the narrative is? Well, yeah, and I think too, it's it's really important to understand all the players. And I think what a lot of people are missing were these private builders that bought that I'm sorry that built specifically for things like built to rent and short term rental. You know, so let's take the institutionals like American Homes for Rent. You know, they went out and said, hey, I want like this many homes in these areas. They've now become net sellers of those. And so there's it's it, there's just a lot of different players in the market. And I think like in this the example that you give, you know, I don't think the national builders like that wouldn't work out for long, just like you're saying. I mean, they have to report if the money doesn't come in. Well, I can, I talk a lot about the drug of gain on sale. And what that is, is essentially in our industry, you can book your revenue very early on, like at that initial kind of application. And it just becomes a, a drug that papers over any other loss. And what happened in late spring is our financial media decided they wanted to help the builders. And like um, a specific reporter, I won't name names, came out with a big series of articles in Bloomberg about, hey, go out and get a new build because you're going to get a 15 to 20% net reduction in price. You're going to get all kinds of incentives, like they're going to pay your solar for a year. And so I think as we had the 10 year and the 10 year is very important and across the world, right? But <laughs> very important in the, the housing space. We had the 10 years start running up and I thought for sure it's over for the builders because the way they do modeling within those organizations. And so then we got a little bit of that relief in the spring. Then you had kind of these articles come out and I think it was able to kind of like slow the the crisis down as well as Adam, just so you, this was something I had to, I came home and I looked at every builder's balance sheet. I was, I thought how on earth could this, be possible. I know a lot of these people, okay, <laughs> from the industry. <laughs> and and they do this song and dance where they're like, we learned our lessons, you know, like every single earnings call is the same. And our balance sheets are strong. Not if you have to take a 50% write down, they're not. Nobody's balance sheet is that strong. So, you know, I basically just kind of realized what they're doing is cost modeling. And so if a project that's complete um, is not making 10% in margin, then they have to fair market value it. But otherwise, they can just let it sit within the models. And so if they're not selling it at all, then they don't really have to make a decision about fair market value. And so it's very difficult when you go into their Qs and Ks trying to find these little projects where they are. You can't find it. Uh, and, and so I think they're able to paper over a lot of stuff in aggregate, because there's just no need if you think about, so I'm just going to give you a theoretical, I can't prove it right now, but I'm a big national builder. I've got a massive spec site, um, maybe one that I just visited out there. I haven't sold any homes, but in reality on my balance sheet, it's just land right now. I mean, I've got expenses happening in SGNA or whatever, but Nobody really knows that all those houses are built. And so I'm not doing any type of fair market value because if I'm not selling, I can use my cost model. And so I'm, I'm, it, I know this may sound like a, a little confusing, but it, it comes into how do you, you know, how are they really valuing these things? And so that that's an explanation where it's not it's not fraud. It's just they can almost pretend like it's just land and they a lot I've been told by people in the industry, they'd especially do that near the end of the year because that way they're just taxed on the land versus on huh. the house. Yeah. On the house. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it is a little bit of accounting shell game, if you will. Presumably yes. there's an end date on that though, right? I mean, they, oh, they, 100%. they, they, they have, they, they've, they've spent the cost to build this thing. 
right. having it just sort of sit there, not generating income, depreciating, needing maintenance, stuff like that. They, they, they can't do that forever. That's not a profit. It's not, not a way to run a business, right? Yeah. And yeah. And that's like, when I saw the 10 years starting, it's little March this time. I'm like, I don't see how this isn't uh, the kind of the runway is out. You know, they can't take on their margins are getting crushed. They can't keep doing this. You know, they can't keep sustaining it. And so I really do believe that we are rounding the corner to that runway being completely, you know, it's over. And so, you know, we had new home sales down last month. Right. And and so I think that likely this is, and, and also I tweeted something a couple of days ago from a, a, a builder that I know or someone in the building industry that he heard in Texas last two weeks, people are like, there's been no traffic zero. Like, so I think that what people don't understand is that when the narrative starts to fade, because I feel like we're all living on narrative right now, either it's the stock market looks good, but you know, consumer sentiment has come down. Like the narrative is petering out. We're rounding that time of the year when everybody has to take stock. Summer's almost over. I've got year end in front of me. I can't go to my shareholders, investors, you know, uh, I'm going to have to start making decisions about what that year end looks like. And so I think that um, we will likely start to see by October or November, uh, this, you know, actual distress at the builders. Um, but I do think likely it, you know, and when I say the narrative, it's just the soft landing narrative, you know, it's the the stock market up narrative. It's all of those things that I think are just keeping everybody's hopes up. But I think that as we go into the fall, you really can't pretend anymore because you've got year end looming um, in front of you. Okay. So I hear you saying, at least in terms of the builders, it's time to foam the runway because it's not going to be a soft landing. We got to start preparing for a hard landing here. Um, yeah. and, and one quick thing about the builders before we move on from them. Um, they have been kind of feasting of late um, because the transactions that have been happening, you know, we're, we're in this sort of frozen housing market, which has yep. much less transactions right. this year than it's had in previous years, right? And I've talked in this channel with many folks before about this kind of, you know, high noon standoff between sellers and buyers right yeah. now. Yes. Um, well, the, the most of the transactions or a lot of the transactions have been happening have been on the new house right. side. And that's because... Right. The builders have been, you, you alluded to this earlier, they've been providing incentives, they've been providing mortgage discounting to right, move right, inventory. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and what they are doing to a certain extent is they're, they are kind of pulling future demand into today, which at That's some correct. point that yes. runs out, right? Yes. Um, and also, secondly, I kind of feel like they're giving the housing market a pre, they're giving it the answer of how to how the standoff's going to resolve, right? We have this affordability issue. Buyers have gone on strike. Sellers don't want to sell. And basically what, what the new home sales market is telling us is, well, the way you resolve that basically is either by substantially cheaper mortgages, which of course everyone's praying for, but if the Fed goes right. higher for longer, that's not coming up exactly. or, or what else you have to reduce right. prices. Right. That's right. Uh, and, and I think I saw a chart and you tell me if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think I saw a chart of, like two months ago that was showing like it's rare, but, but now the average price of a new home had dipped below the average price of an existing home. Is that accurate? And so I, I think I've seen that chart as well, Adam, but I don't remember it clearly. But I think that, you know, that's absolutely true if you take into consideration the rate buy, buy down and the incentives, you know. So, but I do, I I I remember it as well. I just don't remember where I'm still. <laughs> okay. But but yeah, so yeah. that that's that's sort of an aberrant moment in time, but it's because, you know, right. these houses are moving because right. they're cheaper right. on a relative basis and the mortgages are, are more affordable. Right. And so that's probably a telegraph. One of those yeah. two things is coming to the the, the, the full housing that's market right. near us. What's also interesting is is we're seeing a similar dynamic. Or we've seen a similar dynamic this year in the um, the auto market where, Absolutely. yeah, where, you know, the, the, the new car inventory hasn't been moving as much. So dealers are bringing down, you know, all sorts of discounts and incentives and stuff like that, yeah. where new car uh, demand has gone high, yeah. mostly because that's just where the cheaper cars are. <laughs> you right. can't. Yeah. So anyways, it's been, it's been we've sort of turned the markets on their head this year. Yes. All right. So we're foaming the uh, the runway for the home builders. Um, back to your theme of, you know, data that we, we 
having data that we we're not sure how much faith we can put in it. Right. Uh, there was another sort of expose that you did recently, and I'm, I'm probably going to murder the setup for it, but I'll let you take it over, where um, there, I, well, I, I think it was one particular sort of development or housing right. unit area, um, and um, uh, the MLS listings right. were saying there was a certain level of, of homes for sale. But when you went there and you actually looked at what was going on, you saw that there were vastly more units for sale than what was being reported. And of course, the media, which sort of sets the narrative for the, the masses, is keying off the publicly available data like the right. MLS listings. So it's right. kind of reporting data that, yeah. that doesn't really match reality. So give us the full story on that. Yeah. So when I got back in February, I was as confound. I just was so confused. So I started really digging into Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com. What are the differences between the three? And what I soon came to find out is that essentially there's over 600 individual MLS sites in our country. Um, and most and no one has a connection to all of them. And when you look at Zillow and Redfin in comparison to Realtor.com, which is what the Fed uses, they actually use Realtor.com's uh, numbers. By the way, they're owned by the same people as the Wall Street Journal. Um, they use those numbers. Uh, you can see that Zillow and Redfin don't have as many listings, and it's because they of the aggregators that they choose. So out there, you can choose certain people that are aggregating these individual MLS sites. But then you start digging even further and you realize, okay, even if you had all 600, you still wouldn't have all the listings because you, when you start to talk to people in the industry, you realize typically the MLS only has about 70 to 80% of listings because there's things called pocket listings. And then we heard about these, these folks that were really, these brokers in mortgage that were really, they hired a builder built those for themselves. They never made it onto a listing site. They they would sell these thing, things on Facebook, like hotcakes. Like I have a great Twitter space out there of a guy this happened to, like one property went, got sold in an hour on Facebook. That never made it to an MLS listing site. And so there's just a ton that we don't understand. And it does come back to the data. So that's, I just wanted to lay that out there because uh, I want people to understand that, that it's, especially if they're looking for a house, they need to go to realtor.com. They're going to have more listings there. Um, but I was going to get to kind of like what happened recently where I could, you know, really see this as an illustrative example, which is um, I went to a community that's a 55 plus community that had been featured in a local news article. I'm down here in the Miami area uh, working with a client. And what had happened is that all the residents of this massive community, over 9,000 people, based on what they say on their website, um, got a letter that said, you know, uh, your costs, your HOA fees are going up due to skyrocketing insurance costs. And police had to be called, uh, I mean, because everybody kind of stormed the office building saying they can't afford it. And they got on the news channel saying, you know, I can't afford this. I'm going to have to list my house. And so I went to that community and I went to the listing sites to see what I could see that was for sale in that community. And it was about 16 uh, that I could find on the one that has the most. But then when I went to that community site, they had over a hundred, most listed of around 130, most listed for sale, some listed for rent. Um, so right there was kind of a case study of for existing homes that, you know, these folks, because at the end of the day, too, people that have a home and are listing it for sale, they they also have a vested interest, right? And maybe not making it as public as possible because <laughs> the more that are listed out there, that's more competition for them as well. And so if I can not even have to pay, a, it's just a tiny am amount of money, but still, if I don't have to pay to list it on the MLS site, why don't I just do it on this local because so many people want in this community, theoretically, like I'll, I should be able to just sell it without it getting to a site. So that was one uh, recent example of with existing homes. And then the same trip, I just went right down the road to a new build site. And uh, there were all these homes almost completed, you know, just one little thing not done, but a lot of them were completed. I went to the listing sites to look for those new homes. They were nowhere to be found. 
uh, there would there there was one listed one card. I'll say like a little card with like a little you know rendered photo listed for rent. And so it made me think that likely this community was probably a built to rent site. Um, but that was it. And there were there were a lot of homes there over you know over twenty homes. And so and they're not they, these were not showing sold etc. So you know that's. It, within one day, six hours, I, I had two case studies of how, number one, it's, you know, it, not only exist, like existing homes aren't being listed, and then new homes are not being listed. And so it was just a really, you know, but then also the case study of fixed people on fixed income are not going to be able to afford these insurance increases. So, sorry. All right. So a lot wrapped <laughs> up in that example, um, but, but to the net net. You know, you saw 16 units available uh, on MLS right. for this development community, or sorry, for this you know 50 plus community when there were over 100 listings in reality, oh, right? Boy. So right. we'll call that maybe you know uh, uh, seven to eight times as many units aren't being reflected uh, on the MLS site. You then went to the the private build. Uh, part of town and uh and none of those were listed right so right. we we can almost say you know roughly mls was was only reflected about 10 percent of reality of the places that you checked out right that so yep. mm -hmm. right um and maybe that's an extreme example maybe it, right. you know maybe the reality is somewhere in the middle even if it's Absolutely. only you know, even yeah. if it's only 50 percent, that's still right. a pretty dramatic or, undercount. or 10 percent even right so yeah yeah. Okay. So we have all this inventory that's not being reflected. So first off is just, hey, we got to be very careful as consumers of information around um, the housing market to really understand that that there's a lot of incomplete information out there. And I think you said, if I heard you correctly, that almost nobody really has like a total view because there's all this, right. these different you know, pocket inventory pocket and stuff like yeah. that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we, we just have to, you know, we have to take with the grain of salt, anything we right. see, because we know it's not going to be perfectly complete. Um, but obviously, lots of inventory that's that's not being uh, reflected. Um, and there's so much wrapped up in there. I, I guess the thread I want to pull first is um, the spec homes that you saw that that weren't listed at all that were being built as built to rent. You know, presumably that's being built by some relatively deep pocketed uh, company who's building all those, right? So in the past number of years, but certainly recently, right, we've had this really big surge in um, corporate capital coming into the residential housing market, right? Really? Um, with some really deep pocketed players like Blackstone and, and some of these, you know, really big private equity firms. Um, and then, then yeah. just a whole range, you know, so it's not just mom and pops having one or two units. It's, it's deep pocketed corporations that have hundreds or thousands, right? Um, now rents are starting to come down. And if we have, if we have all this inventory out there, you're saying that, that is, is even more than what we're being told in the official data. Uh, I mean, obviously, home prices and rents should start coming down even further. You talked about the trajectory not being good and you're nodding vigorously as I'm saying this, but I assume you are looking forward and saying, oh my gosh, all this sort of shadow inventory that's eventually going to have to come on the market as these people, these companies just have to start getting something for their investment. Um, it's really going to be pulling prices, sale prices and rental prices down from here. Um, you're nodding, so I'm going to let you respond to this in just a second. But okay. one of the concerns that I've been flagging, and I'm curious to see how much you may share it, is, uh, you know, I, I think the, the 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 institutional and corporate investors have really helped push the price of, of real estate up because, as can't believe we've mentioned this already in this this conversation, but as I like to remind people all the time, housing is priced at the margin. Right. So, you know, one house in a neighborhood sells, it reprices comps for all homes in the neighborhood. Right. So these guys are the deep pocketed all cash investors who can come in, buy inventory at a higher price than than the average consumer can, because they've got deeper pockets. They've got the ability to borrow at cheaper rates and they have the ability to enjoy economies of scale across their portfolio. So I can if I don't get the best deal on this house I'm buying, that's OK, because I'm, I'm making money on this other part of my portfolio. Right. So they're taking kind of like a long game and they're buying in volume, right? And that that's all helped push stuff up. 
personally, I think it's it's a societal uh, bad idea to have a, a meaningful percentage of your housing stock um, owned and, and operated by corporations. When in other words, in a, you know, in, in a better world, it would be owned and, and, and totally maintained agree. by individuals. Right. Um, but the the concern I'm getting to, the risk I'm getting to, is when 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 the market flips <laughs> and all of a sudden these guys are not making money on their thousands of units. In fact, maybe they're starting to really hemorrhage money on a lot of their units. For them, it's just business, right? They're not living in the house, right? Um, right. They just eventually, you know, somebody somewhere up in corporate says, wow, that division is just losing too much money. Yep. We just get to start chopping off limbs, get rid of that stuff. And yep. all of a sudden you could see hundreds of homes in a concentrated geographic region hitting the market within a short period of time and then just cratering price because all of a sudden supply has gone through the roof. H how big of a risk is that, do you think? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, I think it's a fairly big risk. And, and I think that there's a little bit of shenanigans going on right now. Uh, you know, we were seeing like Blackstone others being net sellers of a lot of this inventory. And then there was this big deal announced where they bought, uh, Blackstone bought some Starwood, but that was an all in the family deal. And what I mean by that is that these guys also understand what's happening, right? And, and they need to keep this as close as possible. And Starwood had already taken an $80 million write down on that at the beginning of the year. Um, and then let's let's talk in November what the actual purchase price <laughs> right, ends yeah. up being. Um, but and, and they had made Predium uh, buy back some of the homes because it was originally a Predium deal. So they did a whole little all in the family. But these guys are already net sellers, like whether, you know, there, there's some moving around of things, but they are. And so they are already. Right, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to underscore ahead. that for people, because that okay. I think is a really important observation. You're saying that the institutional buyers who have been so influential in pushing prices up in recent years have now flipped to being net sellers. Correct. Correct. Okay. Besides that one deal that I believe was an all in the family agreement um, and was also kind of a, it was a crappy deal and they pushed some loans back and they got, you know, they kind of uh, got together and this happens. Like I personally, my company was bought by Cerberus back in the last crisis. I know them very well. Uh, they own first key, which are these built to rents kind of single family rental uh, business. So you're absolutely right, Adam. They don't care at all. Like, you know, they're going to they're going to come in, they're going to slash and burn. And in the, my case, uh, I was working at a top five originator and servicer back in 2006 when Cerberus purchased a majority stake. Um, the government bailed them out. So, you know, they don't care. Uh, and and they they understand these markets fairly well, although they get caught upside down, uh, but they usually figure out a way to get out <laughs> to your point. <laughs> Whereas your regular consumer, one of my biggest concerns when Bloomberg was pushing all those stories about the new bills was that what I had been seeing is these all these in the mega sites, like all these empty homes. And you'd see one loan site with a for rent sign out there, like like that was complete amongst all this construction. So I just had all these nightmares about this young family, like buying in one of these mega sites and it going completely, you know, no, no other, you know, home being sold for like years, because that's what happened last time as well, you know, and I, I want to mention a quick story. So sure. Lenar, uh, you know, you can go back. So Lennar got rescued a last cycle um, through kind of this tax thing. And there's a great article about how they learned their lesson. They were going crazy. They had a schedule of delivering like 35,000 homes, the most on record. And they, and they just got out of control. This is what like the quotes in the article were saying, like, we've learned our lesson. They're set to, to deliver almost 2.2 times that many homes this year, and we don't have the demographics to support it. And so 
what I want everyone to understand more than more than anything else is that no one learned their lessons. No one. And and they may believe they learned their lessons. And I can tell you because I talk to these people every day in my industry. They don't understand there's a lot of things happening. Like, for instance, the credit scores look inflated. We know this, you know, like uh, due to things like since the GFC, medical debt's not really considered anymore. The, you know, student loans are on forbearance. You know, mortgages were on forbearance, uh, not being reported to credit. So credit scores look fantastic. But you know, that's not a true indication. And and this is, so Adam, one thing you may not know is that the GSCs have this thing called automated underwriting systems. And so you, you feed that information into it and it spits back to you, whether it's approved or what the, and so in many ways, it's starting to interrupt. Can you just, can, for the folks that don't know what the acronym stands for, can you just define GSE? Uh, government sponsored enterprises. Uh, they, so this is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, right. um, that essentially we're taking control of, you know, during the crisis. But, but they, they basically help lower income families get into uh, houses by giving them mortgage support. Well, and at this point, uh, what happened after the GFC is they became the only sort of uh, uh, people backing in our, in our huge securitization. So. So the housing industry runs on securitization. You know, the GFC, there was a lot of private securitization with uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac with a piece of the pie. What's now happened is it's all GSC with a tiny bit of what we call non-qualified mortgages are private because everybody has said no more private mortgages. And so now it's not just first time home buyers. It's people with jumbo loans. It's everybody like they own a massive portion. I think it's somewhere like 90 percent, but I don't have okay. the numbers in front of me. So just very similar to sort of what's happened with education debt, right? Where they pushed out the private lenders and it's pretty much now just the government. That's right. That's right. And so what's going to be very interesting this time, we call it government-sponsored subprime. <laughs> because <laughs> ultimately, what the, the fan, so the GSEs were ultimately kind of saying, yep, you gave us the data. Here's your pricing. Um, this is approved. Um, but... Uh, it's based on things like these inflated credit scores. So it's going to be very interesting. And you're already seeing the narrative. Um, David Stevens, former head of Mortgage Bankers Association, coming out about all the repurchase requests that the GSEs were doing. And so this is the other thing. You originate the loan, you sell it to them, but they have the ability to send it right on back to you saying you didn't dot your I, you didn't cross your T. And that's starting to happen, which happened at scale, which is actually what crushed my company to some degree, why we went bankrupt, um, it's starting to happen and everybody's freaking out. And they're saying, but that's not fair, GSEs. You're not being a good partner in all of this. No, that's how they keep making money through, through, and they made money in the last default cycle, Adam, and they'll make money again. They were the ones that pushed all of that real estate owned that was in foreclosure to the investors, believe it or not. They started those auction programs started backing them. And so there's a lot of history here and a lot of things that people don't understand. It's a very complicated market. market. And so, um, you know, back to Le the Lennar story, um, they have not learned their lesson, whether they think, and people in the industry think that we've all learned our lessons, but there are certain dynamics that are, uh, that show we absolutely haven't. And a lot of people are just not paying attention like they didn't last time. Okay. Well, and you know, it's, sorry. <laughs> it's not that different from like when I talk to folks like Matt Taibbi or um, Gretchen Morganson, you know, who, who have spent their careers covering Wall Street, where, you know, it is disappointing when you talk to them, because they're just like, yeah, Wall Street learned nothing, you know, from right. <laughs> the global financial crisis. It's, it's still doing all the same, you know, yep. bad things it was before. Uh, it sounds like the same is true in, in, in the yes. um, lending space here. All right. So, um, you said this is really complicated, and it is. And I really appreciate you, you know, shining your your bright light into this space for us and helping us understand a little bit better. So, uh, in terms of just you know trying to simplify the key takeaways for viewers here, um, I'm intuiting from what you're saying that you don't feel very optimistic about where home prices are headed from here. Um, so, how do you how do you generally see this playing out? Um, 
Will there be a material correction in the market? I, I have trouble imagining there wouldn't be one given from uh, you know much of what you've said. Uh, and if and whether whatever size correction, if any, you see, what's the timeline you think it's going to play out over? You know, is it going to be sharp and severe, or should we be girding for like a multi-year just grinding, grinding, grinding down process? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of a lot of trains heading to the same spot, and one of that those is the election, right? And so I think the election is going to. Um, muddy the waters in terms of I think affordability is about to become the rallying cry of many, many politicians because it is the thing that their constituents are going to be complaining the most about. I mean, the right. affordability crisis, just quick example, uh, one borrower that I, the case study that I did in the, uh, in the sub stack, his mortgage payment is not, it's not doubled. It's 2.4 times his monthly payment due to property taxes. So that's an extreme example, but um, this is becoming an affordability crisis. And then you tack on the insurance issues, right? So I think that you're going to have government step in. There's a $10 billion HUD budget proposal right now that's on the table for next year. There's already all this uh, homeowner assistance out there that from the pandemic that about 50% of it hasn't been used by the states. And so what will happen is we'll get a lot of programs that will probably come into the space to help uh, with some of this for the, the borrowers with mortgages and things like that. So distress selling from your regular borrower, um, that's probably not going to be the catalyst of all of this. What I'm seeing and what I think will probably be the start is going to be the super prime who went out and instead of buying one property, they bought 10. And now they're, and I'm, I'm seeing this all over the place in my local research. They had, you know, uh, an interest only loan and the full thing is due next month. And they're freaking uh, it, out. It's starting oh, to but but, but is, is the example of this, like when you say they buy 10, is it because they, is this the short-term rental craze? Is this buying, you know, nine properties to, to Airbnb right. out and have income come in through them? That's right. That's okay. right. And, and the way that they were, uh, you know, lent to is they would, they'd say, what's your average daily rate? You know, here's your occupancy. But those comps were not looking at any homes within their five mile radius. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it would be like, you can make $10,000 on a property next to a cemetery and a power station in an yeah. area where nobody wants to go. They're almost kind of like liar loans. And it said, if I heard you correct, they you, are. They're adjustable or interest only, right? I mean, these Some are things are. That, that are getting crushed yep. by the rise in interest rates, yep. right? That's right. And they're only a little slice. I mean, right now, but what people don't understand are the 30% all cash purchases. They weren't all cash, right? They weren't all a bunch of people. They weren't just the institutionals because the institutionals started pulling back. I think the end of last year, they were mom and pops that went and got loans on their crypto assets, loans on their equity assets, or they did a cash refi out of a really big, you know, property to go out and buy these homes and they used all cash. Um, so, but it was levered. So that, that I believe the, there's a lot of these assets, I think that were at first Republic. I've heard um, some interesting stories about quiet asset sales from that deal. Uh, so I think the super primer coming under stress with the credit crunch, everybody thought they'd be able to refi, right? Mm -hmm. But now they're not being able, they're not getting approved. And so liquidity is running dry. And so I think that actually the super prime might be the, the catalyst, the investors, the, we called them Alt-A or stated income or ninja loans last time. They're called DSCR this time. Um, and there are responsible lenders out there doing these, but there are a lot of people that just went crazy. And, but then if you have all the tools, the technology tools, in the space that people use when they originate these loans saying, sure, yep, you're going to make $10,000 a month, but they were making all the wrong assumptions, you know? Um, so I think, I think it's going to be a longer grind. I really do because I think politics are going to get in the middle. Um, and then I think I'm starting to see the distress right now in borrowers, uh, you know, doing what I call the death cross um, from 30 days to 30 plus, uh, and I call it the death cross because they're giving up on their credit at that point. And we're obsessed with our credit in this country. And so we're already seeing, we initially saw FHA VA getting under stress like around April, May, um, and then Fannie and Freddie joined the party 
But when you go and look at all the um, kind of the sites that report on this stuff, they're just focusing on seriously delinquent is is the lowest it's ever been, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's because it got taken care of by the COVID programs, which are not going to be there when these borrowers get there. And 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 I still look at client books and it's kind of a combination of people who literally just can't afford it because of a hardship and investors, which is exactly how it started last time, Adam. I mean, that's what the subprime were. That was the investor class. And by the way, at my company, I know for sure, we didn't originate to lower credit scores. Um, and so it's just that it was the same thing. Everybody thought they were going to make a ton of money on rent, et cetera. And everybody's having a party, right? <laughs> and and then the reality, when these home prices carry with it increased costs that nobody was prepared for, it started it. It started the, and so subprime, saying it was subprime kind of misses a lot, which is why everybody's missing what's happening this time. Got it. Well. And it sounds like you're saying what's going to happen is very similar to what happened last time, just different trigger. And ironically, not coming from the subprime part this time, but maybe coming from the super prime, right? The super prime. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, generals always fight the the last battle, right? So everyone's looking at subprime and really maybe they should be looking at super prime. Um, and, and just make sure I understood you correctly. Uh, you're saying we're beginning to see a surge in delinquencies, meaning people not paying uh, right. their mortgages. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's at the early part of the timeline, right? right? It hasn't, hasn't gone out to the extreme just because right. We're now just beginning to see the wave, but you would expect right. to see that continue to propagate out, right? Right. right. Okay. And just um, a quick note on that, because I think yeah. one thing people don't understand is how hard it is to actually put a loan into default after the GFC. And so many people think, oh, foreclosures will be here tomorrow. That's it. You you have to wait 120 days before you can even refer to foreclosure. And then most states have mediation programs and all these these things you have to do before you can take it to default. So this is why I think we probably won't see increases in foreclosures until uh, end of Q1 and maybe all the way to Q2 before we really see the surge there in 24, because this process became overly uh, regulated. Um, you can't enforce your note anymore. You can't enforce contract law, Adam, after the GFC and mortgage. Okay. So to my earlier question about sharp and sudden versus kind of rolling grind, sounds like you're you're in more of the latter camp there, huh? Yeah, I, I think that certain things could happen uh, where it could go faster and certain things could happen where it could go slower. And so I'm kind of probably in the middle. Um, but the 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 person, the logical person in me says it it has it's going to have to happen and it's going to have to start happening at the end of this year. Okay. And of course, there's a word you and I haven't even mentioned yet, which is the word recession. Right. <laughs> which is right. if we go into a recession with the concomitant job losses and all that stuff, presumably that just kind of adds gasoline to this That's potential right. dumpster fire, correct? That's right. And then, then you know, I think things do accelerate and it could be because I like to say real estate is local until it's not. And what I've been saying recently, and it's until the shadow banks choke. And what I mean by that is the non-bank uh, which does most of mortgage lending today, when they run out of liquidity, that could create all types of credit events um, that could accelerate all of this. So, all right. And can you just give an example of a shadow bank that does mortgage lending just so people have an understand, understanding sure. what you mean by shadow bank? Sure. It's anybody that's not a bank. So Mr. Cooper, Rocket, United Wholesale, um, let's see, uh, Guaranteed Rate. Those That was the kind of the top seven, those guys. Uh, those, uh, New Res is another name. Um, and- and, the, and a lot of people won't even know those names because they'll use a local broker who will then sell that loan to Rocket and UW, et cetera. And so those are the non-banks and they weren't here the last cycle in the way that they are now. And they don't understand servicing, which is what happens after the loan is originated, you know, the taking mm -hmm. the payments, that kind of stuff. And so they have, that's why they're all complaining about these tiny little repurchase requests they're getting right now. They have no clue what they're, they're in store for, because I like to say to people, regardless if these people go to foreclosure this year, you still have to start the engine. You still have to send all these state notices, federal notices. You have to review the bar. I mean, there's so much the servicers have to do. And that expense just mount. I, in my client books, we're seeing expenses increase month over month 
like from 10 to 25% Adam in Ooh. just a couple of months. And so people, they just, everybody's focused on the Fed and their narrative and they're not even paying attention to their own metrics. And of course, everything's delayed by 30 days or 60 days. And so the industry itself is asleep and not even seeing what's going on. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up here, but this has been fascinating, Melody. Um, and and folks, I'm, I'm sure, Melody, folks have really enjoyed this. But folks, if you'd like to have me invite Melody back on again to pick this conversation back up, especially if her outlook really begins to build up steam here in terms of the developments on the ground, let me know in the comments section below. Um, so last question for you around this. Um, you live in Florida. You guys just uh, had a hurricane come through. Glad to see that you're still around. Yes. Um, in terms of in terms of the storm that is coming to the real estate market here, what what category number would you give it? Are you expecting a cat one, a cat five? Well, I'm gonna be called a doomer, uh, but you know, I'll go there. I'm I'm expecting a cat five. A and, cat and five, okay. Wow. This is worse, in my opinion, than the GFC. I and I and actually I kind of feel like we're just going to play that out. And the reason we got out last time is because the institutionals came in and bought up a lot of these homes. So and then rented them out to people, you know. <laughs> so I do think it's probably going to be a cat five. All right. Um, all right. Well, well, we'll leave it there. But that should hopefully, you know, tell people to pay attention to this space yes. going forward. Um, yes. OK, uh, well, look, um, Melody, this has been fascinating. Uh, I'm going to send Danielle a, a text right after this, just thanking her for for giving me the, the trigger to have you on here. Um, for folks that have really enjoyed this conversation, perhaps weren't familiar with you and your work beforehand, where can they go to follow you? Sure. So I'm on Twitter at M3 underscore Melody, M-E-L-O-D-Y. Um, also on LinkedIn, Melody Wright uh, at Substack, M3 Melody Substack, and on YouTube and a sad little channel. Uh, I think it's called uh, just Melody Wright <laughs> YouTube. And so uh, those are the places. And I, I I really do my best to respond to everybody. Um, I don't block people. Um, so, you know, if you have a question and if you have to make a decision, please reach out to me because there are better decisions to make if you're forced uh, due to something that's out of your control to make a decision right now. So, Absolutely. Um, uh, and the big thing we talk about in the channel, too, is really making an informed decision with the support of informed professionals versus just making a decision in the moment driven by emotion. Those tend to always be the worst yes. ones. Uh, Melody, when we edit this video, um, we'll put up URLs to your your channels okay. there, and uh, we'll put a list, a full list of them uh, down in the description beneath this video, too. So, folks, if you're looking where to go, that's where you can find the information. Um, all right. Well, look, in wrapping up here, uh, two quick announcements. Um, one, just a reminder for folks that uh, tickets are now on sale for Wealthion's Fall Conference on Saturday, October 21st. Uh, don't worry if you can't watch the event live. Everybody who registers will get a replay video of the entire event, both the presentations and the live Q&A. Afterwards, um, it is our best faculty we've had yet. Um, uh, I won't run through all the, the, the names because I've done it in the past couple of videos, but to find out more information and register at the early bird discount price, which I think is almost 30% off full price, uh, just go to Wealthion dot com slash conference. And remember too, if you're an alumnus of our previous conferences, check your emails because you'll have a discount code from me there, which will give you an additional 15% off that 30% early bird price. Um, and again, uh, just to what I nodded to earlier, um, Melody has just uh, dropped a lot of knowledge bombs uh, in, the, in this conversation here. And if you are a question I didn't get a chance to dig into her that I will next time she comes on is, all right, what should, what should you be considering then if you're a homeowner thinking about should I sell or not? If you're an aspiring buyer, should you wait for the cat five to play itself out before you know getting into this market because better valuations will be ahead? It's all sorts of considerations. Are you, a, are you a housing investor? And if you are, should you be selling your property now or should you try to ride it through the storm, right? Um, highly recommend that if you've got questions around real estate like that, um, recruit the insight of an expert, um, reach out to Melody directly, um, or talk to your financial advisor, get their advice. If you don't have a good one, uh, feel free to talk to one of the ones endorsed by Wealthion. You see them on this channel with me every week. Uh, to set up one of those free consultations, just fill out the short form at Wealthion.com. These consultations totally free. 
Uh, there's no commitment to work with these guys. It's just a public service they offer to help people position as prudently as possible for what the future is likely to hold. And Melody just gave us a lot to expect coming down the pike. Um, uh, Melody, this has been fantastic. Folks, again, if you'd like to see her back on, please help encourage her by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Melody, any any parting bits of, of words of wisdom for the audience here before we wrap things up? No, I think you just said it, Adam. Please, you know, everybody ask questions. Uh, don't make an emotional decision. You know, there are good decisions to make right now. So reach out to a professional or to me or someone and just, you know, talk it out. So I think that's great advice and what everyone should be. And question the data. Question the data. Question <laughs> the data. You give last... us a lot of reasons to do that in this one. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Melody, thanks so much. We really look forward to having you back on again soon. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Thank you.